0: Well, our subject today is uh, from Luke 15, and we're just looking at the, uh, the first 10 verses. This is the, the section um, where it's got the three losts in it, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But we're just going to look at the first two, which is uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And David Woods will be talking next Lord's day on the lost son. We've split it like this because uh, it's maybe too much to take in and one uh, to try and do the three together. so we're going to look at the the first uh, first two together uh, today so let's read that um, the first ten verses of Luke chapter fifteen. Now the tax collectors. And sinners were all gathered round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, probably to all of you here, um, this is a very well-known passage of Scripture. And it's one that's been used in Sunday schools and in gospel meetings for, well, nearly 2,000 years maybe. Uh, It's an interesting topic to just consider, though maybe a little bit deeper. It's one of these... Topics that I've always been guilty of thinking you know until you sit down and study it and then you realise I've never really got into this properly. And that's a lot of what the, the teaching of the Lord Jesus was like that. He taught parables and they were applicable for whatever point in history and whatever point of uh, spirituality the person that was listening or reading it uh, was at. these. I want to take these two together because we are dealing effectively with uh, a sheep that's been lost, one of a hundred. And we're dealing with a coin, a silver coin, that was lost, one of ten. Uh, you can see the similarities of how uh, the person involved dealt with them. And how they responded when they recovered them, and so we'll look at that together. To start off with, right at the very beginning, and it's again it's a a repetitive uh, recurrence here, is that the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered round him to hear him, and then in verse two starts with but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. (laughs) That puts the two categories that the Lord was constantly having to deal with was that he was somebody who had come to those that needed him and that was everybody. But the categories were different, that there were some that wanted him and there were some that didn't. The Pharisees were a... uh, An odd bunch that we keep coming uh, the lord keeps coming across time and time again and uh, they were critical always critical of him trying to catch him out you always marvel at the strength of the lord when uh, if you're constantly being hit like this that wherever he went there was criticism wherever they went there were people trying to catch him out that he knew that every time he stood up to speak he was gonna to have to be so careful with the words that he spoke because one word wrong and they were right in there and they were looking for any excuse, even to murder him. And, and although we're dealing here with the Son of God, he was a man and he thought and acted like a man and he suffered like a man. And we can think of ourselves about how hard it is to deal with criticism. Like if I knew that by coming here and all of you were sort of ready to catch me out, (laughs) um, I would be quite nervous. And if it happened every week, it would eventually get to you. The Lord, of course, because of who he was, was above that. And he is able to deal with them in in the right way, the correct way he didn't get angry and annoyed he didn't um, um, leave those that he was aiming for, he still fulfilled his purpose and he did this and here he does this in the way of talking about three parables um, about being lost, the interesting thing is as I said that the tax collectors and the sinners, they were the lowest of the low. They were the people that everybody looked down on. The tax collectors were really thieves. I mean, they made their money out of conning people. They would overtax them. And that was how they made their money. And everybody knew that. And so they were, um, they were a people that were despised. The sinners were the people that probably are called that because they were openly sinning (laughs) they were all sinners (laughs) and this was the the irony of the situation these were just people that didn't care less they would sin openly and they didn't care who saw them and they didn't care whether they were called sinners the Lord when he got up to speak here it says that these people were gathered to hear. So they recognised their situation. And I mean, that's the first step, of course, is that the tax collectors and sinners, they knew what they were. And they knew they needed help. And they wanted to hear what this man, this teacher, uh, had to say <coughs> that would help them. The Pharisees, of course, were people who didn't think they needed help. They were a self-righteous lot who they felt were pure, almost sinless. They were uh, people who uh, went about their lives doing what they thought was the right thing and they would have access, they thought, to heaven through their works. When the Lord spoke the, the, the first parable, it starts off with a hundred sheep. A hundred sheep that are in a pasture. And one of the sheep is lost. Now, this is a picture, of course, of the good shepherd, which you read about elsewhere in the Gospels. It's not dealing particularly about the, the quality, except that if you've ever seen a, a field of a hundred sheep, how would you know one was missing you wouldn't know unless you were somebody who was looking after them and looking at them every day and knew them by name and so there is a a, a sense in which um, the good shepherd is shining forth here Um, he (coughs) identifies that there is a, a sheep that's gone It's no longer amongst the rest. The fact that these sheep are all in a pasture and one leaves, again means that it's not really focusing on a sinner who has uh, gone away and needs to repent and come back to Christ because when you look at this hundred sheep that are in the pasture to begin with who are they they are people who are in where they should be they are being protected by the good shepherd and one of them leaves that I think you know that the one sheep here to me must indicate the human race because it's almost like of all of the creation of God when he made it it was perfect and the angels in heaven and all the things like that was, was beautiful and was being created in order to give glory to God and in this pasture they are all enjoying this uh, <coughs> plenty of food freedom and care but then one Goes away, <laughs> and that's like the human race. Adam and Eve, they they had everything, and they decided they wanted to leave this pasture and go off on their own. That's the only way I can really come to understand this situation. It's um, the creation of God is that we obviously have very funneled vision as to that uh, we look at our little world and we look at uh, the human race and that is our world and that's what's important to us, ourselves and our uh, human race. God's creation is far bigger than that. When it talks about the heavens, when you read in Revelation about what was going on in heaven and John's vision of heaven, it's a marvellous place that is full of people and not just Human's it's, um, there are people, there are creatures, there are angels, there are seraphim and uh, they're just it, it's full and I think we are going to get our eyes opened when we get there as to see that God, what God's creation in the heavens and in heaven is really like. He created <clears throat> lots of sheep but the human went away. Now you might think it's a bit like again if you've got a, if you're a shepherd and you've got ninety nine sheep, you might think, "Oh, that's good enough. You tend to lose one or two anyway, and if there's one missing, maybe the wolf's got it, or it doesn't really matter. Again, you're getting the picture here of the shepherd who cares. A shepherd who is prepared to go out and look so when you look at the human race that when adam and eve sinned they're cast out of the garden then your question is why did god not just leave them leave us leave human race the reason what i think is coming out here is of course he didn't because he loved that sheep he loved the human race. He loved Adam and Eve. Because when God, although he creates just two people, from these two people is going to come the human race. And God being God, he sees all that. He doesn't just see two people and then think, you know, we'll get rid of them and start again. He sees everything that comes from that. And therefore, we are included in that. And so he sees a race of people but they are a people who have separated themselves from him and he wants them back into this pasture and so he goes out and he looks for the sheep now the fact that this sheep, when he finds the sheep he carries the sheep it's a, again it's, it's teaching us that we can't find our way back on our own I think uh, my experience, of which is extremely limited when I was younger working on the, the Black's farm and, uh, in Scotland for, during holiday periods, was in a case like that, they were in fields and when there was a, a sheep lost, you'd go out with the, uh, the shepherd and his dog, and usually a tractor, and you'd round it up and chase it back to where it should be. This is different here. This is a picture of a sheep that's gone so far away that it can't find its way back and it can't be chased back. It has to be carried back. And so you've got the picture of him putting the sheep on his shoulders. And of course, you can... You can look at other scriptures that refer to the shoulders the shoulders of the Lord bearing the weight the the son of man who came to seek and to save all who were lost and he carried us on his shoulders the picture of the high priest the high priest in in, uh, in Israel of course was that he wore the uh, names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his shoulders. It's a picture of him carrying them. And we need to be carried. I think it's all so much depth in these parables that you can just spend so much time just purely thinking about the shoulders, that we are being carried by Christ on his shoulders back. To the flock back to the place where we can feed and be safe and be cared for and he's not just chasing us back he'll carry us but we have to be found i think the the picture of the pharisees here uh, were people they were like sheep that weren't going to be found he didn't want to be found and it's almost as if it's like the, sh- the, the shepherd would go out and he's looking for his sheep. He'd be listening to see whether he could hear it. He would be looking at the possible places where it could have fallen or hurt itself or uh, got trapped or whatever it might be. Um, but if that sheep didn't want to be found then it, it, you get the picture that he would keep searching, but maybe never find the sheep. And that was a a thinking about the Pharisees, that they were people that, because they didn't think they were lost in the first place, because they were perfectly happy in their surroundings, then they didn't need the shepherd. The tax collectors and the sinners they were the ones who were sitting on the front row desperate to hear what the, the lord jesus had to say they were the ones who would be crying out for help this is of course the picture of the of salvation in general but it's in the human race we are all sinners we have all gone astray isaiah 53 we have all sinned we've all gone astray we all need saving it doesn't matter what type of life we're living. It says, uh, you know, when Moses, at the end of his life, when he um, was giving a report on the 12 tribes, when he came to Benjamin, he, he said, and you read this in Deuteronomy 33, that the, the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders and i think it's a it was a very high accolade that was given to benjamin the one whom the lord loves will rest between his shoulders is that recognition uh, of who the lord is and our relationship with him and what we feel about him that if we feel like we are being carried on his shoulders, does that not give us a different aspect of our attitude and our relationship in our lives? If we self feel that we are self-sufficient, that we are actually doing quite well, we live in an age where we have access through decent education to the Word of God. We can sit down and we can read things and we can get knowledge and we are able to gather together and sound very plausible as Christians. We do good as much as we can. And if we get into the, the, the area of being self-satisfied, then we're not understanding being carried. I think it's when you realise that the helplessness of the sheep it's sitting on the shoulders of the shepherd, and its only way back is for him to carry carry it. That is where we need to be in our relationship with the Lord. Is that forget our any pride that we might have in our ability to do whatever, that's only been given to us. Whatever gifts we have, whatever ability we have, is God-given. And we need to see ourselves really... We sometimes talk about being emptied. And that is what it means. It's be empty of self. And it's being like carried on the shoulders of Christ. At the end of this this first parable... um, and it's the same as the second one and it's the same as the third one it ends up with rejoice with me again you're getting the picture of Christ here and his attitude towards the lost that he wants to rejoice he's got a hundred sheep uh, he's got 99 that are all fit and healthy but you've got this one back and it's his attitude to that one it's important for us to appreciate as mm-hmm. is to thinking of the mind of God. Is that what does he think about people who come to him? People who accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. Uh, salvation as the package is what do you think about that? And what does he think about that? Because it's important as I say, we can become very complacent as Christians. We can come, become very almost methodical in our actions, in our life, that we're not appreciating the enormity of what could have happened, or what would happen if the shepherd hadn't found us, and hadn't put us on his shoulder, and hadn't brought us back. What would have happened? Well, the answer is we would have died and we're talking about eternal death of course and it's the realisation and appreciation of what you've been saved from is, and the, the total dependence on Christ that causes us to worship that causes us to act like Chris, Christ that causes us to follow him If we don't have that, then we can be part pharisaical, that we don't need it. So when he says he rejoiced with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then he goes on to say there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repent who are righteous people that don't need to repent i've never met one again goes back to me thinking we're dealing with the heavenly host i and it's amazing to me to think that the, the the little glimpse that we get from the vision of john in revelation of to what heaven is a little bit like is that the, the sounding glory of heaven and the rejoicing in heaven is something that we can only imagine and we're only getting a glimpse of that people humans that are lost, that are coming back are causing great rejoicing in heaven that's how they feel about us what do we feel about them? What do we feel about heaven? And th- this rejoicing that's going on, it must be continuous because there's people being saved all the time. It's going on in heaven and it gives you an insight into the love of God and the depths of it. <coughs> we often we thought this morning about sending his son sending the Good Shepherd and enduring the cross, bearing our sin, was all because of the lost sheep. I'll go on to the coin. <clears throat> I just want to read a verse in 2 Peter 3 and 9, <clears throat> which I think relates to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 reads, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance it's that last part he's patient with us not wanting anyone to perish but he wants everyone to come to repentance you see the woman that's re- um, depicted here as that when she has lost one of her ten coins she's still got nine but she's lost one a silver coin and what does she do she lights up the place her house i guess and she sweeps it from every corner top to toe she searches until she finds it now we had the sheep and the depiction of a sheep here you've got a silver coin what is the Lord teaching us in the silver coin well if you go back to the Old Testament and you see that the silver coin played a very significant role in God's dealings with the people of Israel that um, on the Day of Atonement, when in order to atone for their sins, there was a numbering that took place. And that when the people of Israel, who were, had separated themselves from the world through coming out of Egypt, they declared their love and their allegiance to God, and that they wanted to be the people of God. And in order to do that, they had to be numbered. And when they were numbered, it says that they, the, the word numbered means they passed over. They passed in to become part of this people. Initially, it was to be the fighting men of Israel. So they were talking about a select group who were, the, if you like, the strength of Israel. And they, when they passed over, when they were numbered, they paid a silver coin a half shekel that had to be a particular weight it had a value and it was in order them to atone for their sin they were a separated people that had paid a ransom there was also in the coin situation that the everybody had a value and so when The people of Israel made a vow and a vow to God to consecrate themselves or somebody in their family they had to pay the the worth so they were there was a value given to that person a value given to the vow that they were making and they had to pay dependent on their age, their stature all that type of thing The reason I'm mentioning this now is that this thing is that the fact it's mentioned here is a silver coin is to point us to value. Is that the Lord sees us as people who are valuable. We have been called for a purpose. Again, I think here the ten coins are like a, 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 a value that this woman had and she's lost one so she's lost something of value and that's a little bit I think is that God's looking at us as a people who have got value, we are like the silver coin and he sees us as worth every one of us has got a worth so if one gets lost If one is no longer there, then what does the Lord think? It means something to him. We have sometimes, we have people amongst us in churches of God who will go astray. Maybe we've all gone astray, but maybe some more astray than others. And you think, and they will sometimes say to you, I've heard it said, later that nobody cared I just drifted away and nobody came to visit me nobody said anything I just went off I wasn't considered valuable that's not what the teaching is here that's not what the Lord thinks we might fail the Lord in our shepherding care The Lord doesn't fail and so if he sees a coin that's lost he's going to sweep the place he's going to light up the place and he's going to strive to get that person back we might be used in that but I think it's a picture of value and I think it's important for us in our Christian lives to know that we are valued by the Lord a sheep has a value but the silver coin I think depicts person it depicts the value that the Lord had for the people of Israel every one of them had a value and he knew their value and he wanted the priests to know their value and he wanted them numbered. And that silver coin that was used to atone for their sins, it was used in the worship of God. It was used and it was melted down and they were used for the, the, the supports, for the um, fencing that went round the tabernacle. It was used in the tabernacle itself. It was precious and it was of our worth, and people gave to it. And that's a picture of the churches of God, of the house of God today, that each one of us has a value. Each one of us is like a silver coin, and we give that in to the bigger picture, to the bigger thing, because what we are creating is a people who worship God. We have a value. We are precious in the eyes of the Lord, and therefore... When one goes, then light up the place, sweep the place, and search and get that coin back that 's what the Lord wants, and we can learn from that. Just in closing, then again, back again to at the end of that coin, uh, the lost coin it 's the same response, only this time. A slight difference that the woman, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't know whether you spent much time considering the angels. There's a few books been written about angels, and it's quite a say, difficult thing to understand sometimes when we read about angels if they're coming, they come to give the word of God they, an angel came to the Lord and gave him support in the garden of Gethsemane before he died angels are there all the time we talk about having guardian angels <laughs> whether that's true or not I'm not sure but that one thing I'm sure of is that they have got specific purposes of care for us and God will determine how he uses them they they uh, have functions they give themselves totally as servants to God they reflect, depict the mind of God And to think of them in heaven, in their hordes, rejoicing over somebody who's been lost and come back. Thinking about the human race and their continuous work that they are doing for the Lord on our behalf, ever looking down and helping and caring according to the instruction given by God. You get a picture of this, of something that is... It's mind-blowing, really, to think that over one person, that there's angels just rejoicing in giving glory to God in heaven over this one instance. It, it's humbling, and it, put, it puts in perspective this um understanding of what god thinks about us never think we are nothing never think we are not as good as that person or that person or we are not fulfilling what we can these these are these are things that we can get bogged down on and it it affects our service we should be thinking that we are precious in the eyes of the lord We are individuals who have been called to come together to act in a priesthood in order to give worship to God in a very special way that he is glorified in and he sees each one of us as being part of a bigger thing and therefore we are all equally important. We are all the silver coin and therefore we should smile at that and believe that and know that that's what God thinks of me therefore what do I think about him